Hello, everyone, and welcome to Genealogy Adventures. Thank you for sharing your Sunday with us. My name is Brian. And I'm Donya. How you guys doing today? And today we're joined by our guest, Andre Kearns, who's sitting right here in the middle. And we're really pleased to say you are the first guest that we've had in our studio. And excited about that. Very <laughs> and I, excited. And I'm excited to be here. So today we're going to be talking about researching free people of color. And Andre is a genealogist, a public speaker, and a commentator, and he has a brilliant website called thekumbofamily.com. And I'll be posting a link to that later on in the show. He blogs about race, culture, history, and genealogy on Medium under his own name. And without further ado, thank you and welcome to the show, Andre. Thank you uh, for inviting me to be on the show. I, uh, it's exciting to be here and to be your first guest that's recording in the studio there's history here because we're right across the street from Howard University. Mm -hmm. My grandfather was a student at Howard University. He's a grad, 1950 graduate. Uh, so he fought in World War II, came back and studied at Howard, got a pharmacy degree, uh, and then moved back to Suffolk, Virginia and opened the first and only black pharmacy in Suffolk, Virginia to serve his community. So, wow. Wow. Uh, and I've had multiple family members at Howard. So this is a special place. I'm a native Washingtonian, so um, it's a special city for me. Wow. And uh, I get I got to say, I've been following you guys and how you build, built the show up. And so really um, honored and excited to be invited to be a part of the show. Uh, I've been following your research and all the great things that you're both doing from a research perspective. In particular, Brian, the work that you've been doing, documenting... <laughs> on ancestry, the relationships between the enslaved and slave owners, which it's like not what the product was originally designed to do, but it's but you identified a need for African American and people of color researchers in particular. Uh, and you're doing your best with that tool. But if I'm that company, I'm I'm looking at what you're doing for ideas and opportunities to expand how they make that offering available to support researchers like us. So yeah. hats off to you on that. Oh, thank you. Well, that's kind of what Dying and I are all about. Yeah, that's yeah. all and we do. We, we, we try to make sure that people understand their connection, whether it's via DNA or the paper trail itself. And we show them how to connect that on a tree so that they can see it and then understand that they are relatives regardless of what's going on. And there's so many connections, right? Oh, my God. So, Brian, you and I have DNA connections, and mm -hmm. then, Donya, you and I were talking about Relative Race, which is this great reality show, uh -huh. yes. and I was uh, privileged to be on um, season six uh, premiere of that, and so I'm uh, related to uh, Anitra, who was a um, on contestant team. on the blue team, mm -hmm. through her father, who's a Harvell, and, and you're discovering that you might Possibly be related, related to, her to her through her mother. Yeah. So it's her, it's her really aunt, small Omega, Omega Hightower. Yeah. So, and it's, it, it just, it's really great. I, right. I'm, I told them about it and they were like, oh, you have to keep us posted. Right. And I was like, yeah, I'll let you know. I said, I need to contact Andre first and see which side it is. Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah. Well, we'll figure it out. Yeah, we'll figure yeah. it out. We'll definitely figure it out. But, but that I, was a great show. And, and I think, you know, having an opportunity to be in a show like that, having an opportunity to be in a show like this, this is really, this is what the genealogy adventure is all about. Mm. Every day it's a new adventure. Uh, and so I'm, I'm enjoying the journey uh, and enjoying the opportunity to share my story and the story of my ancestors with as many people who will hear it, but certainly documenting it 
for future generations. Well, we'll certainly be picking your brains about that. I just want to take a quick double check to make sure we're broadcasting on Facebook. Yeah, that's what I'm, um, that's what I'm trying to see now. It's not going live. Okay. And, right, free people of color. So, not... I would say that they, in some aspects, are easier to research than enslaved ancestors, but they have their own sets of challenges and some hurdles to overcome all of their own. And how, because you have, you've done so much work on the Kungo family, and thank you, because that's probably saved me a good decade. Oh, for, please. For the research for, with what you've done. Um, how did you get into it? And, and, why, and why the Kungos to start with? Sure, so I think in terms of how I got into genealogy, I've been researching, um, I think, formally since 2006, and I know this because I checked my ancestry account, and that's when I signed up and started building the tree, and it was for Kern's family reunion. Um, and so it's been 13, 14 years uh, since I've been formally researching. But I think my interest was sparked as a child um, watching the miniseries Alex, Haley, Alex Haley's Roots. Um, I remember seeing it as a child when it first broadcast. Uh, and I just remember being inspired by it. And it, it really planted a seed in me back then as a child, which now as an adult has grown into a full-blown passion for um, genealogy and researching and trying to trace and understand my family's history beyond slavery even. Um, the other thing about Alex Haley's roots is it actually did provide a historical framework with which um, I thought about my own family history, right? Um, so I knew that I descended from enslaved persons in America. I knew that I likely descended from slave owners of some sort. Um, and so I think through my research, I've been able to validate uh, both of those uh, those areas um, of our history. But then I think um, what I discovered as I was researching that I wasn't aware of was that I also descended from free people of color. So people of color who lived as free um, prior to the Civil War. This was not any family history that ever had been passed down to me. Um, I had not heard stories about that, no oral history on how um, our family had been, uh, our family branches had been free prior to the Civil War. So it was completely novel and new to me when I started to uncover it. Uh, and it was just super exciting to uncover this story that I had not heard before. I do remember my mother once, as a young adult, she shared with me a document which was uh, the Freedom Papers for one of my ancestors. And I looked at it and I thought it was really interesting. To be honest, I wasn't even sure what I was looking at. I thought maybe it was his freedom papers coming out of the Civil War or something. Mm -hmm. um, mm. But um, yeah, so as I started researching, I started realizing, wow, I descend from also from free people of color. And there's a really fascinating story behind that. So cool. um, just to give people who don't know, how does, because this is something that I've been having a conversation with with a couple of people lately. How does a free person of color come to pass? Like, is right. there, what made them free? Sure. So let me, I'll do a couple things. One, first I'll define who they are, mm -hmm. and then how they became free. Um, 
and Brian, I'm sure you have plenty of thoughts on this as well, but um, who are free people of color? They were um, three things. One, they were non-white and they were legally free citizens prior to the Civil War. So that's number one. Number two is um, they were free because they were either born free or they were manumitted or made free. And number three is a lot of these uh, free people of color were of mi mixed ethnic ancestry, so of mixed African, European, and uh, Native American ancestry. So that's a little bit about who they were. W would you add anything to that? Slight, probably making it a little bit slightly more complicated. Um, nuance. Nuance, yes. <laughs> nuance. Thank you. Good political answer. Yes. Um, it all depended really on the status of the mother. Right. So if the mother was free, she could either be a free woman of color or a white woman. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people don't realize that colonial era, you know, indentured white women were actually having relations with Native American right. men, mulatto men, right. black men, right. Yes. So their children were born free because they took on the status of, of their mother. Absolutely. So that gets into how this community, this population actually came to be. Um, and so I would trace the origins back actually to the first Africans who arrived in colonial Virginia 400 years ago. And so we all know that um, in August, we uh, commemorated the 400th anniversary of the first 20, 20 and odd um, Africans arriving in uh, what is present day Hampton, Virginia, um, in colonial Virginia, uh, which became what we now know as the United States of America. Um, and so the, these 20 and odd Africans and the, um, the Africans who followed them arrived as captives. Um, and I would say they arrived as, and they labored as bonded servants. Right. Uh, and so because they were, and we can have a whole discussion on <laughs> that descriptor that I'm using, mm. but I'm using it as a precursor to what we know as slavery today because yes. that was the beginning of the formation of slavery. Um, but they arrived and they labored as bonded servants, and, and we know that some of them, through documentation, because they were bonded servants, were actually able to negotiate freedom, freedom. for themselves. They were indentured. Mm -hmm. Well, in some see, that's why I say bonded versus indentured. To okay. me, bonded is they were servants, but indentured servants uh, entered into a contract right, right. with a specific term, and then that allowed them to travel to Colonial Virginia, serve that term, and then after the term, they were free. I think the, many of these Africans didn't enter into some sort of contract before they left Africa. They were captives. But when they arrived, they were uh, characterized as servants. Uh, I would imagine a lot of them basically were servants their whole lives for all intents and purposes, slaves. But some did, we know through documentation, they were able to negotiate a term after the fact um, and obtain their freedom. And so those Africans who were able to do that formed the first free person of color community in colonial America. Um, and the Cumbo family, which we'll talk about, which I'm a descendant of, are they're one of those original free people of color families. So 
I would trace the origins uh, of, of, of these people back to that time frame. And then, um, so, and then to your point, Brian, um, you could be born free. Uh, and so um, there was a law that was passed in 1662 that really defined slavery. Um, you know, from 1619 through the 1660s, what we know as slavery um, what, as an institution was forming through a series of customs, court rulings, and laws. So in 1662, they passed a law that said, basically, um, your status as a child that's, that's been born into colonial Virginia is tied to the status of your mother. Mm -hmm. And so if your mother is enslaved, you're going to be, when you're born, you're born into slavery. But then that also clarified the invoy, inverse to your point, Brian. So if your mother was born free, uh, and let's say your father is a, a, a man of African descent as a servant or even an enslaved person, uh, and your father, um, you know, that's your father, and then your mother is a free person, a free white woman, or a free woman of color, or a free Native American woman. When you're born to that woman, your status would be the same as hers. So you would be born a, a person of color who would be free. Uh, and then the third, I think, um, source is manumission, right? So there could be people who were born enslaved but then were freed through manumission. Um, and so we see throughout the history of colonial Virginia that people are freed from, from slavery uh, as the institution grew. Um, I think the, its manumission started as a public act. So the uh, Virginia legislature had to actually manumit individual enslaved persons by name. Um, so it had to be an act of the legislator. And then over time, they passed laws that allowed slave owners to manumit the, the uh, people that they owned. Um, but with that said, there is also this growing fear in colonial Virginia and into the, uh, into the South. There was a growing fear of the growth of free communities of color. And, and um, they felt threatened by a growth in free, in free communities of color. And so um, they passed other laws in addition to the manumission laws, like if you're manumitted, um, there was one in 1806 in Virginia, if you're manumitted as of 1806 or any time afterwards, you have six months from your date of manumission to, to leave the state. The state. Yeah. So you can be free, but you can't live you can't, here. You can't be free and live you here. Gotta go, you gotta go, right? Get out of jobs, yeah. And so, and so you see that, and like I think that's also a characterization of um, the the life that free people of color lived. They were free, but it was it was also quasi free status because of that dynamic. Their rights relative to free whites were constantly being squeezed. Right. So the guardian, where does that step in? Because Brian and I have a, a relative who, Rebecca, Rebecca Bug, she was actually, she always had a guardian. Hmm. Or, if I can jump in yeah. just real quick, because it's going to lead, it's going to lead into that point. Okay. So great timing on that. <laughs> so we're talking about free people of color, but they were free with caveats. Yes. I would say they were free with huge caveats. Yes. Um, <clears throat> One of the things that upsets me, and we'll talk about this kind of a record that you can use, is if you look at those really early colonial tax lists right. and you compare those to the court records, 
my, ans my free ancestors were always being hauled in court because they could never afford to pay their tax. They had a poll tax. They right. couldn't afford to pay it because people were prejudiced and racist and didn't want to give them work. So if you can't get work, you can't get money to pay a tax. That's right. That was one thing. You couldn't own a gun. Right. Was another thing. You couldn't sue a white person. You needed to have a white person act on your behalf who is more or less your guardian. That's right. And I thought that would be a good segue for you to, to talk a little bit more about that kind of proxy. You almost had the legal status of a minor child. Right. Basically, if you were a free person of color. That's right. That's right. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that, is, that is absolutely the case. You saw these laws that were passed, again, uh, because of the fears of, of white citizens of ha having to live with free citizens of color feeling like uh, these communities would actually be a bad influence on enslaved persons. Um, and I think there's some validity to that. Like I just finished reading Frederick Douglass's, um, the, the uh, massive um, biography on Frederick Douglass that David Blight um, wrote. And he did talk about the notions of Frederick Douglass got on wanting to be free and living as free. He got living in Baltimore as an enslaved man working in the shipyard side by side with free men of color. Mm. So there is some validity to that. If you have, if you own uh, enslaved people and they're seeing other people that look like them living free and they're asking questions like, like why, are, why they are they that they way and weird right. this way? So mm -hmm. that's real. And then mm. you take things like the uh, Nat Turner rebellion. I think it was uh, 1831. Uh, maybe. Oh, no, that one. That was 1670, I want to say 1676-1677-1677-1677-1677-1677-1677-1677-1677-1677-1677-1677-1677-1677-1677-1677-1677-1677-1677-1677-1677-1677-1677-1677-1677-1677-1677-1677-1677-1677-1677-1677-1677-1
I don't know the exact answer to that, but um, I think um, one of the things I observed in my family was um, if you ha <clears throat> you could you had free people of color in court records who may be uh, defined as orphans. Uh, and orphans could be they actually lost parents or it could be that they have parents but those parents just don't have the economic means to take care of them mm -hmm. uh, and so once a child is defined as an orphan then it is the yeah, basically the state's responsibility to find uh, a guardian or someone who's going to be mm -hmm. responsible for that for that child and so in my in my research I found that us uh, you know at least one of my uh, free people of color ancestors were apprenticed to a white man of means in Northampton County, North Carolina, um, where he learned farming uh, and lived with him for a time until he became an adult. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I think the state stepped in uh, when uh, parents weren't there or when they deemed that uh, the parents couldn't economically provide for, for those children and um, they apprenticed them. And mm -hmm. I, I've definitely seen instances of that. And, yeah. You're in a squeeze as a, as, a, as a family of color, I would think, because you are many of them. I mean, I've seen the full spectrum, right? Like I've had, uh, I've found free people of color ancestors who were quite prosperous and owned land. And then others that I'm sure they were just scratching out a living. Well, I'm thinking about <clears throat> my ancestor who was among the first 30 in Auden, Virginia, Anthony Johnson. He was a really successful um, horse breeder. He was right. renowned. Yeah. for the quality of his horses. You have another family. I can't remember who they are or who they were. They were known for their cattle. They're right. like one of the most, they were even more prosperous with their cattle business sure. than their white neighbors. You had magistrate. Again, Anthony Johnson was a magistrate. Someone else, one of his peers was also a magistrate mm -hmm. until they died in Virginia outlawed people of color mm -hmm. becoming magistrates because what they were doing was actually buying their own children out of their bonded service. Yeah. And I guess people didn't like that. Um, court records, by the way, amazing, amazing resource for researching free people of color. But, and it's not anything that we're going to get an answer to today. With the success stories that I was reading, and again, Catherine Knight's book Unveiled is just amazing for, amazing. This de for yes, these details. I didn't understand where the white fear was coming from because mm -hmm. these people were, first of all, they saved Jamestown. There's no two ways about it. Jamestown would have died yeah. without them. So you're going to reward people who saved you, who have gone on, don't clearly don't seem to resent being in the colonies, carving out their lives, raising their children, establishing their businesses, and you're going to start instituting black codes. I don't get it. And I also, I just don't get where the fear, where the fear is coming from. But it's tangible. When you start reading what the Burgesses are writing, about 16, about 1630 to 1635, you can kind of tell what's on the horizon. And I think they knew what was on the horizon. I think that's why they were so busy buying their children out of their, their bonded status. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So tell us, um, well, let's real quick, let's say hi to our fans. We, we always say hi to them. We try to make sure we have people and just kind of look at who, who, who's covering us today. So while you guys were talking, um, we have people from Hawaii, Philly. Wow. Um, we have 
Denmark. I'd love to be in Hawaii right now. <laughs> yes, we have Denmark, Karen Bertram from Denmark. And then we have our regulars from North Carolina. We have some Maryland people, some South Carolina, Tiffany, and just our overall mm -hmm. regulars. So I wanted to say hi to everybody and just remind you that if you have any questions for Andrew, I said Andrew, I'm sorry. That's Andre. all right. That's my great-grandfather's name. I'm well, going to call him out, Andrew Kearns. All right, yes. all right. Well, for Andre, if you have any questions for Andre, please feel free to put it up here. You know, we, we try to get your questions in and your comments as a whole. So, now, go ahead, Brian. So, a couple of documents that I'd like to cover and then a point <coughs> is are things like bastardy bonds. Because, again, not all of the colonies have them. North Carolina did mm -hmm. and Virginia did. Um, talk about how you how you've used those bastardy bonds um, tax lists um, court cases sure I haven't found too many I have found a couple of wills that were written by by free people of color and estate inventories but I'm going to be honest I haven't <coughs> from my own ancestry I haven't seen those as always happening yeah and the thing that I also wanted to touch on because um, Donnie reminded me about it with uh, Rebecca Bug. <coughs> A lot of the free, free families of color that I see, especially in Virginia and North Carolina, a large percentage of them are actually headed up by single females. Hmm. So the women are the head of the house, mm -hmm. and they have their kids. And mm -hmm. I'm thinking about Elizabeth Kumbo, who is mm -hmm. our mm -hmm. common ancestor, mm -hmm. um, and how, that can, how you can factor those kind of things into your research. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, there are just a tremendous amount of uh, documents that are helpful and that I found helpful in terms of researching um, free people of color. I think in general, you know, earlier you asked about obstacles. I think the reality is having, um, being descended from both enslaved people and free people of color, it's all relative, right? So relative mm -hmm. to enslaved people, there's just a rich set of documents available in terms of researching these free families um, that I don't unfortunately have available um, to research my enslaved ancestors. Mm -hmm. So, I think relatively speaking, there's just a ton mm -hmm. of documentation to uh, to be able to research on the on the free side. But I'll start with census records. Those are um, that's that's fundamental for enslaved people. They appear first appear in 1870 for free people of color. They appear prior to uh, 1870. Um, you know, starting with 1790, which is the first census that was uh, was taken in what we know as the United States. So I remember, so I'm a white descendant. Uh, and so my third great grandfather, his name was Exum White from um, Suffolk, Virginia. It was known as Nansman County back then. But I remember that, um, you know, researching him, that was the first time I learned that I descended from free people of color because I found him in the 1850 census for Nansman County of free persons. Um, and he was a 20 year old uh, black male. Uh, and he was a laborer working for a wealthy white merchant named James Norfleet. And so I just stared at that census record and I was like, wow, you know, just kind of comprehending what that meant that this man was free uh, and listed as a free, free black citizen uh, in Virginia. Um, so that was the first document that I discovered many years ago um, where I discovered I descended from free people of color. Then I was able to find um, Exum's parents in the 1850 census. So his parents, my fourth great-grandparents, Meredith and Parma White. 
Um, so that was exciting, and it listed all of Exum's siblings, so I got to kind of learn more about the family. And then I even found Meredith's mother, my fifth great-grandmother, wow. getting to your point of uh, women as head of households. So I found her. Her name was Patsy. I'm going to call out her name, Patsy White. And she was, um, she was in the 1820 census as a head of household wow. uh, in Nansman County. And so it was just really powerful for me to see that and to know that my mother was born in Suffolk, Virginia, and that now I'm looking at a document on my fifth great-grandmother who was living in Suffolk, Virginia as a free black woman born in the late 1700s. And so it was really amazing. So all those documents that I uncovered on census documents I found on Ancestry and, and FamilySearch. So I think census records are a rich uh, source of documentation. Vital records, another rich source. So we're talking birth records, uh, marriage records, death records. In particular, marriage records have been uh, rich for me in terms of um, um, uncovering the history of my free, free uh, colored ancestors. So as an example, I'm a Cumbo descendant. Uh, my fourth great-grandfather, Britton Cumbo, married uh, my fourth great-grandmother, Mary Manley, um, in Northampton County, North Carolina, in 1842. So this is 23 years before the uh, end of the Civil War. Um, they were married, and it's documented. And so it's amazing to see that and to see her maiden name um, and, and know... Uh, about their marriage and, and the family that came out of that. So I think that that's been uh, valuable. You mentioned um, wills and probate records. Um, I found uh, those records to be valuable. Free people of color, because they were free, they could own property. Mm-hmm. They could own land. Uh, and there's a lot that you can get out of those land records, those uh, land ownership records, those wills, those probate records. Um, I'm a Pope descendant, and so the Popes were free people of color from Northampton County, North Carolina. So my fourth great-grandfather, Elias Pope, was born in 1793, uh, and he died in 1860, and he was a landowner. Uh, and so before, right before 1860, he actually wrote a will. Uh, and so I was able to access that will on Ancestry, and the will listed out every one of his children, their spouses, their grandchildren just laid it all out for me uh, in a nice, neat document. Uh, so I was able to put all of them in the tree. Uh, and, you know, there were many children there, which I probably wouldn't have figured out the connection without that will. Right. Um, so that, w- that was a critical document. That was a rich document. Another will I found was for uh, my fifth great grandfather, Britton Combo Sr. from Northampton County. Um, and... I was a, it was actually a probate record, so it was talking about how his property would be distributed to pay off his debts. And so I got a line item description of everything that he owned, right? So it included a loom, a spinning wheel, 100 pounds of cotton seed, a horse, uh, a saddle. And so from, from this, I'm able to better understand who he was, what his profession was. He was a cotton farmer. Um, and how he made his living and how he provided for his family. So these wills also provide, in these probate records, really provide rich context into the lives that our free people of color ancestors live. So uh, I found those valuable as well. 
And I'm going to say, <clears throat> I was really moved the first time that I'm, one of my Pleasant's ancestors was part of the 400 slaves that were freed by Joseph Pleasant, which caused a huge stink storm in Virginia at the right. time. Um, he was one of, the f one of the first, he was a Quaker, and he was one of the first in Virginia to just basically free everybody, mm -hmm. like all, all of his enslaved people. So within, my, that ancestor appeared in the next tax list, which okay. I think was 17... 1783, 1784, mm -hmm. Charles City County, Virginia. He had a horse. He had a plow. Right. He had two cows. I think he had a sheep and a pig. Yeah. That was it. And maybe yeah. an axe. That's right. what, that's what yeah. he was taxed on. Wow. But you know what? He was free. Yes. Yeah. I don't care that you didn't have a big house and you didn't have 500 or 5,000 acres. Right. You had a horse, cows, pigs, whatever. Absolutely. But you were free. Absolutely. Yeah, so those are those are rich documents to, to uncover. Um, court records. I think you mentioned court mm -hmm. records. Mm -hmm. Really uh, valuable documents. I think they. Uh, I think I mentioned this before, but my fourth great grandfather, Britton Cumbo Jr., was apprenticed out. So he was made an orphan in 1837. Um, at the age of 12, uh, his father, Britton Cumbo Sr., had died. And he was apprenticed out to a man named Jesse Morgan um, to learn farming in Northampton County, North Carolina. And I know all this because the apprentice record appears in the court records for Northampton County, North Carolina. Um, these court records are valuable resources. You have to work really hard to get information out of them, though, because they're not really, or at least from what I've um, seen in the North Carolina court records, the North Carolina court records are not indexed. So indexing is what allows you to do quick searches or filtering for criteria to kind of narrow down the documents that you want to examine. So these court records are documented but, uh, or digitized, but they're not indexed. And so you really have to be invested in kind of clicking through every page and looking for what you're looking for. It's in cursive. It's hard to read. So... It makes they're going to make you work, yeah. but the information is there uh, if so you, if you my, want to find it. So my analogy to that would be like working with microfilm, like when we went to the, like um, we went li to the archive, no, mm -hmm. Library of Congress. Congress. That's right. So then that leads me to because we have a person who that we have questions. We have questions. Oh good. <laughs> <laughs> and um, Stacy L asked about websites. If you recommended any websites, but I'm also going to ask add to hers. Did you have to travel to get these things, or was it just websites? So, so the census records, the estate records, wills, probates, the um, vital records. <coughs> for most most of that, all of it, I've sourced uh, online. Okay. I'm a subscriber to Ancestry, which is a paid service. I think you pay like a hundred bucks a year. But then, virtually all those documents <coughs> are also available for free on. FamilySearch.org. Mm -hmm. um, so you do that online. The court records I referenced from North Carolina, those are available online on FamilySearch.org as well. But I've also gone to the Library of North Carolina and looked at the original court records. Um, so you can do that too. So the state libraries of this in the, within the um, where your ancestors lived the state your ancestors live, you can go to the state library and, and kind of um, discover there. Do you find it more more advantageous to go to the place? Like, do you, did you ever feel that you found more when you went there as opposed to 
what you found online. Because I can honestly say that there were moments and times that I know I would never have found certain things that I found about Edgeville, South Carolina online mm-hmm. that I found when I actually went sure. there. No, that's right. That's right. I think there's definitely value in going to the State Library of North Carolina or the State Library of Virginia in terms of what you can access. Um, but also with that said, I mean, we're all busy people living our lives and um, there is so much that is available to us online. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm, I'm also thinking Paul Hennick's book and website, by the way, Free, you know, free Africans. Um, free one, African Americans. Free African Americans. And I'll, we'll be posting a link to that too. What I really appreciated about him, he's another, he's another researcher who has saved me decades. And I hate to think how many thousands of dollars in terms of research. What I appreciate is when he doesn't know and when he's making a guess, he spells out That's right. that he's making a guess. Yes. So basically, don't take this as verbatim. You know, don't, you know, don't take this as the truth. I'm just speculating that the person who's living in Southampton County is now the same person who's living in Isle of Wight. That's right. Sometimes he's right, sometimes he's not. But the other ones where he is absolutely solid from generation down to generations, for the most part, I found that a pretty invaluable resource. Yes, absolutely, I agree. Stacy L says that she has manlies as well in her her line. Okay, well, if they're from Northampton <laughs> County, we need to talk. So. Yeah, um, me too. <laughs> you mentioned Basterly Bond, so that's another, I think, um, valuable resource um, to, to tap into. I Can you explain what those are? Yeah. So Basterly Bonds are um, court records that... Uh, state the fathers of children who were born out of wedlock during, um, you know, stretching back to colonial times. And so they're really valuable resources just because of that, right? Mm-hmm. So it states the name of the father, and, and most of the time the name of the father is different. The surname is different than the name of the child. <laughs> yep. So you need that information to connect the two people and then it also defines the obligations of the father in terms of providing financial support to that child. So I was researching my uncle's family, and my uncle um, descends from a free man of color named Charles Lynch, who was born in 1798 in Halifax County, North Carolina. Um, and so uh, Charles Lynch is actually listed in a bastardly bond, and his the name of his father is listed, and the name of his father is a free man of color named James Weaver. And turns out James Weaver served in the Revolutionary War as a, as a man of color, yeah. right? And so this one Bachelorly Bond document um, really creates that connection for all of the Charles Lynch descendants to now know that they descend from an ancestor, a man of color who fought in the Revolutionary War. That's just absolutely amazing, right? From that one document. From that one document. That's amazing. And I I work for the Daughters of the American Revolution, and that one document can, like, add so many people, you know. It's very hard. It's very rare. To to join the DAR. Um, I think Brian has gone in through this, trying to get in through the signs. Mm -hmm. And it's it's just very difficult for African-Americans to to do it. But I can say, you know, for the DAR, that they definitely worked very hard in trying to get those African-Americans to be a part of it. Yes. 
um, that's something that I, I need to hold on to that because we have people that call all the time and mm-hmm. try to figure that out and try to find out how they can get in. And if you can show proof of that line going back, mm-hmm. that's what they are looking for. And a lot of people don't realize that at the DAR, you know, we go online and we search the DAR records and Brian and I have had <laughs> times where the records that are up there are wrong. And that's because the information during that time, they just let you write down whatever you want. Mm-hmm. But now DAR is cleaning that up. Mm-hmm. They're cleaning it up. And if they find, you know what, you don't really supposed to be this, mm-hmm. they will clean it up. So this is a, that's an awesome thing to know as far as um, that record and that line and learning who that person is and making sure that you can prove your connection from yourself that and, and it go it stretches beyond genealogy into history you know and I'm a, I, a, a pa- I have a passion for history and I have a passion for making sure the America the story of American history told is properly. told properly <laughs> yes. completely okay, inclusively <laughs> there were thousands of men of color who fought in the Revolutionary Ooh. War amen every American should know that. <laughs> Yes, they should. I, you, you, you have no idea. This is a conversation that Brian and I, that, the, that our overall followers, we talk about the history. This is our history. All the time. And people don't realize that, black people don't realize, African Americans, whatever you want to call yourself, you don't realize your part in what's going on here. I have nothing, absolutely nothing against going to Africa. But I am from here. I'm from America. I go back seven or eight generations. So please don't come to me and tell me, go back home. I am home. When you talk about Jersey or here <laughs> in true. Maryland or D.C., exactly what is which home are you talking about? Because Africa, although I have families that are from there, I go back at least seven or eight generations right here. That's right. So why is this not my home? Absolutely. You know, so I, I definitely get what you're saying when you're talking about that, but we don't know that it's our home because that history is not being shared or shown. Right, and that's why what we're doing is so important to really share the stories of our ancestors and how it our ancestors made America. And so I really, your point really resonates with me is that um, my strong feelings of my American identity are specifically connected to knowing the stories of my ancestors and the struggles that they went through to make this country what it is and it's still work working to become a more perfect union but you're not going to cut that out of our history and i'm not going to cut myself out of that history right i feel like I, i have ownership over that right i feel like if if i discount what my ancestors did and I just say, oh, yeah, I'm from Africa. So what my great-great-grandmother Martha did here all that time or what um, Rebecca Bug did or what have you, what they did is, is just null and void. It's not important. Right. What John Yeldale did for winning an actual court case that he had no business winning just simply because of his the color of his skin, that's, not, that's null and void. That's not important. I'm not going to discount them no more than I'm going to discount my families who were brought over here when they weren't asked to be brought mm-hmm, over here. Mm-hmm. So don't don't come to me and tell me that. Like, I'm the one that brought, I'm the 
I'm the ghetto one on this group. If I had to say something like that, <laughs> I'm, I'm the one that will just come straight out. Ghetto or Bougetto? Bougetto. Okay, I like that. I like that. Bougetto. I'm the Bougetto one of the group. And I will, I protect my family, whether they dead or alive. Right. I got them. I got their backs. And, and I'm not going to let you sit here and tell me that they don't exist. Don't come to me and say that. Like, that's that's a problem. Yeah, and the reality is that they, they struggled so that so that I could for be us. Here. That's right. For us. Right. And so um, don't discount that. And we should take inspiration from that. And so what are we going to do to make things better for the future generations? That's right. right? That's right. And so, this class is what it is. Yes. Amen. <clears throat> in the final six minutes, going to try to squeeze two topics in. Okay. Um, first one is it is not uncommon for free people of color's race to change. Yeah. We know of one, Henry Kumbo. Yeah. Oh, no, he wasn't Henry. I'm trying to remember who it was now. But the one, I think he's like our however many times great uncle mm -hmm. who actually sued North Carolina to mm. be recognized as a white man. Mm -hmm. And he won. Mm -hmm. And I know that because my connection to the Kumbos is a man called Henry Kumbi, okay. who was born in Halifax, passed through Rich Square, Northampton um, County, North Carolina, Bothered my ancestor and then motored on to Abbeville, mm -hmm. South Carolina mm -hmm. of all places. He had a white identity, mm -hmm. but his grandfather was the last of his line to be listed as a mulatto. Mm -hmm. So if you're doing research and you find that you're like between one to eight percent sub Saharan yeah. African, you got a free person of color in your family, more than likely, yeah, um, back in the colonial era, who, who basically wow. passed as white. Yeah, that's real, and uh, you know these these racial categories have uh, been quite fluid over over time that mm -hmm. you, you discover through researching. But uh, I've uncovered many stories like that um, related to our shared um, Kumbo ancestry. I mean, I think our history traces back to um, uh, a man named Emmanuel Kumbo, who was one of the first Africans uh, in Jamestown. He's first documented. Um, as being um, patented 50 acres of land uh, on the 18th of April in 1667. Um, he's documented in that document as a Negro. Um, but so we trace back to, to him as a view that that's our common ancestor of the, of the Cumbo family. And so um, over the generations, Cumbo's... Um, uh, had families with uh, other African-descended people, free people, European-descended free people, Native American people. And so over generations, that mixture meant that multiple branches, uh, you know, em they multiple branches would embrace white identities over time, maintain uh, black or African-American identities, uh, and then also identifies Native American. So you, so I've seen the full spectrum through this research. Um, I remember researching, like I've, uh, uncovering a similar story to what you just told, um, doing some Cumbo family research and, and coming across a sermon that had been posted online um, by a woman who turns out to be our cousin. Her name's Denise Cumby Long. And... Um, her sermon was talking about her identity uh, and she, she shared her family history, which was um, she had always been told that um, before they were Cumbies, her family were Mukumbies, 
from Scotland. Mm -hmm. um, but then she started doing this genealogy research and she realized that, yes, their name had changed. Uh, it, was, uh, it, it wasn't always Cumbie, but before it was Cumbie, it was Cumbo. And the Cumbos were not from Scotland. They were uh, free people of color. I've seen she those found trees. her ancestors uh, listed as free people of color in the 1790 census for um, North Carolina, right? Mm -hmm. And so she was able to uncover that. We've connected uh, and shared research. But you, you, you come across stories like that every day um, in this in this family. Um, I would also say that if you if your family is for the last couple of generations had a white identity. And you're all of a sudden seeing a name change in that colonial, especially in that colonial period. I'm finding that's what a lot of people were doing. Henry wanted to still have a sense of belonging to the Cumbo family, but because that was such a well-known and well well documented, even in his own time, family of color. If you now adopted a white identity, he just tweaked the name just a bit and it went from Kumbo to Kumbi. I see it with my Goins. They start off as Goins. They're Goins for generations. And all of a sudden, oh, you're white, and now your name is Going. Mm -hmm. Wow. Or Goen. <clears throat> so what are you doing, or is there anything that you're doing to, to try to bring the, 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 all of the different names together? Yeah. Is there anything that you're doing? I think one of the things I want to share is that I've started a um, YDNA project. So um, Y-DNA testing is a form of DNA testing uh, where you can trace, you can do a DNA test and it'll help you trace your direct paternal ancestry. Right. And so to complement all the re documentation and research on the Cumbo family, I've started this Y-DNA project and I've in, I'm inviting all living males who um, have a last name Cumbo or one of the variants that have grown uh, over the course of history and who believe that they trace back to Emmanuel Cumbo or at least trace back to um, ancestors from Virginia or the Carolinas or the South uh, back to the you know 1700s that you know you consider joining the project so you can Google Cumbo US South YDNA project and it should pop up uh, and then reach out to me and, um, you know, we'll, we'll get you added to the project. But that I'm trying to create that DNA documentation to complement uh, the body of, of research that we've been um, building on on the Cumbo family. Which is really important research because, again, going back to Elizabeth, I descend from a female Cumbo. So I wouldn't, obviously my name isn't Cumbo anyway, so I wouldn't right. have that Y DNA. But we have no idea who the father of her children is. So one way that I can do that is, I can't remember if she was Mecklenburg, Virginia, or Southampton, Virginia. It's one of the Brunswick. two. Brunswick. Brunswick, yeah. third one. Is to go take a look at those plat, those land plat maps, right. see where she was living, mm -hmm. and see who was living around her. Because it's not like she was going to Hen Henrico, you know, That's and having right. a relationship up there and having, you know, having children with a man way the other part of Virginia. It's going to be someone that lived near her or reasonably near That's to right. where she lived. So DNA testing like that will hopefully start to uncut, because again, a lot of the Kumbo lines come down through the daughters. I think that's well said. So as the documentation on your genealogy starts to really thin, the farther back you go, you have to rely on other methods to try to 
um, push things back. And one is cluster analysis, which is what you're describing. Mm -hmm. Taking everybody with the last same last name in a given area and trying to figure out how they might connect with each other. And so my perspective with this Y-DNA project is it's another mechanism for trying to connect the dots because you can see different lines where the documentation may end, but you know that they're all connected mm. via DNA. So it's just another clue to add to the, the to research toolkit, mm -hmm. essentially. And let's face it, it's a big family. <laughs> Indeed. Aren't we all? All of our families are big. Um, so Stephanie Borm says, it appears that she's found a newfound cousin. Mr. Kearns is showing up as one of my matches on Ancestry. All right. Well, that makes a difference because that makes you related to me, too. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for letting him know Yay. that, Stephanie. <laughs> but, um, yeah, that's that Borum, that's that Hightower line. Excellent. So um, who knows? If, if she's popping up there, we believe that we're all related, everybody out of Edgefield. So if you have any Edgefield connection yes. at all, more than likely you do connect to us. Yes. We just haven't gotten to that. Um, I just want to make sure I cover these questions because we're pretty much done. Um, it says how, Tiffany says, I'm curious, how many have found, wait a minute. She said, I have to also mention how many have come across Asian and or South Indian relatives either through DNA testing or tracing their lineage, sometimes listed as free people of color. How many have found this in your lineage and have you found it in your lineage? So have you found Native Americans that connect to that and, you know? I have. <clears throat> okay. um, in terms, I'm still trying to figure out why there's Chinese and Southeast Asian in my DNA. And I think that goes back to what Chief Lazonda was saying is, it was really simple in earlier America. If you weren't white, you were black. They didn't bother saying whether you were black Middle Eastern, black North African, South African, or whatever. You weren't white, you were black. Yeah, yeah. So. Well, Andre, I'm so glad that you came on the show. Thanks for the invitation. Yes, I'm glad. And we have to have you back again. I mean, are you doing any other things that we should know about that you want to share with the group before we go? Check out my blog. So go to medium.com and um, type in my name, Andre Kearns, and you'll find my blog. If you're interested in uh, the Cumbo family, I share my research at uh, www combofamily.com and then uh, I will be giving a, uh, a couple of lectures at the National Genealogical Society Family History Conference in May which is going to be in Salt Lake City um, one on um, using DNA to trace uh, slave holding ancestors and another on um, using Southern Claims Commission records to mm -hmm. uncover um, the, the lives of, uh, of free people of color. So those are my topics, but there's a broad range of topics that will be presented at the conference. So consider joining us out in Salt Lake City. In wow, May. that's awesome. Well, thank you again. And again, this was a huge topic to cover. We will definitely be re revisiting it in the future. <laughs> but hopefully we've given you some real good kernels to um, things to think about and, and ways to kind of tackle your brick walls. Yes, and we will definitely place all of his information in the... Um, comment section so all of your websites so make sure you give that to us and we will put all that stuff up here and I'm I'm sure Andre will be able to look at this again and then if you have a question for him if you're very welcome to answer anybody on there sure. if you want and mm -hmm. um, we, 
it was great having you on the show. Thank you so Absolutely. much. I enjoyed it. Thank you once again for sharing your holiday Sunday with us. Um, hope you guys are all kind of in your homes, wrapped up safe and, and warm. Yes, <laughs> and I hope you enjoyed your Thanksgiving. We didn't even say that. You know, um, mine was sick. Just <laughs> diving straight in. <laughs> yeah, just real quick. I hope you, hope you guys enjoyed your Thanksgiving. I was a mess. And Catherine, I'm much better now. Um, but, yeah, just thank you guys for following us. And we will see you guys. We'll give you a kernel of what's going on tomorrow or Tuesday. Mm -hmm. So until next week, enjoy the rest of your day. Yes, bye, bye. Bye. bye.